You may have noticed coming in, hardly noticed coming in, we have a sign. As you exit the parking lot, a beautiful sign urging you to drive 25 miles per hour the rest of your life. Not just down the street, 25, that's it. Think of all the gas you'll save. <laughs> but uh, as we get ready for, I'm not getting ready, summer vacations have already started. We're about to lose more of you. Um, those going to Germany, shame on you. <laughs> you thought I was going to give you a blessing, didn't you? No, no. In Peru, we're not going to talk about Peru, man. <laughs> we're going to lose all you folks. We're going to take chairs away, or that or you got to sit wide. One of the two. We're going to take chairs out of here, or you got to sit wide. One of the two. Because uh, we want to look like we're a full house. That's important. This morning, we're in Genesis chapter 25. We'll be looking at verses through 1 through 28. And Abraham, he was an old man. He was 100 years old. And he had been promised a child uh, with Sarah, his wife. And God proclaimed to him, he says, Next year, Abraham, at this time, I'm going to give you a son. And I'm going to give you a son through Sarah. And Abraham has a question. He wants to know, how can this be? He says, Lord, I'm old. Sarah, my wife, is old. Both of us are well beyond our years of childbearing. But God, true to his promise, gives Abraham and Sarah a son. Isaac comes along, and life has changed for the better, certainly for Sarah and Abraham is is happy, and they're like their whole life has been re, revitalized. It, it's it's uh, once again there's spring in their step. They they have joy in their heart. And Sarah, who is ninety when she has Isaac, she lives another thirty seven years. But then she dies, and Abraham buys a piece of land, the only land that he will own in Cana. And buries Sarah there. And then he sends off his chief servant, his trusted servant, Eliezer, to go back to his homeland and to get a bride for Isaac from his own people. And it's important to Abraham that he get a bride for Isaac, a wife from his own people. And it appears that Abraham will now simply live out his remaining days uh, in retirement, you know, quiet and peacefully and so forth. But not so. We come to chapter 25. So let's look at the first 11 verses of 25. Now we're going to go through a bunch of names. And don't come up to me later and say, you really mispronounced that name. I'm going to do the best I can, all right? Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midan, Ishbak, Shua, Jokshan, begot Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Asurim, Lestushim, Leirim, and the sons of Medan were 
Epha, Ephor, Hanak, Abida, Elda. How would you like that name, Elda? But anyway, all these were the children of Keturah, and Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had, and while he was still living in, he sent them eastward, away from Isaac his son, to the country of the east. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived, 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and he was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of the Heth. There Abraham was buried and Sarah his wife. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt at Beer Lahai Roy. Abraham, he's 135 years old when he takes a new bride, Keturah, as a wife. And in verse 6, it tells us he also took concubines, not just another young wife. He's got concubines, too. And Abraham has children from, uh, from his concubines and his wife, and he gives them gifts. But he sends these children to the east, away from the promised son, Isaac. He doesn't want any family competition going on in that area because Isaac is the child of promise and the full inheritance that Abraham gives is to Isaac. But he took care of the other son, the other children, but to Isaac he gave everything that he owned. And God has done, you can't help but notice, God has done a great healing in Abraham's life. In his reproductive parts, you might say. Because he's over, well over 100 years old and he takes a new wife. And he takes concubines and they have children. Uh, obviously, these wives and concubines are young young enough to still have children, but God has restored Abraham's vitality, and he's given him wives and children and concubines. And then it says Abraham dies full of years. Now, years in your, in your Bible may be italicized in verse 8 there, and that means that the word years was added. It wasn't in the original text. They added words sometimes to try to make the meaning more clear. And in this time, I don't think they should have added the word years because Abraham, it should read, Abraham dies full. Abraham is blessed of God and he dies full and satisfied. Sort of the way we feel after our potlucks. Next Sunday, after our potluck, we will be full. But then the dessert table will call to us. And then we become overfull, <laughs> too full. But Abraham has died 
Isaac and Ishmael, they come together. They bury their father in the family burial plot, the cave at Machpelah. And Isaac is also now not blessed simply because he's Abraham's son, but now God blesses Isaac one on one. Isaac's home, it's in Beer Lahai Roy, which is in Cana. <clears throat> and then we move into verses 12 through 18, and we chase the genealogy there of Ishmael, and he has 12 sons, 12 princes, plus their, their dwelling place and all this. And we, after these seven verses, we read no more of Ishmael in Scripture. Now, that might be the quickest I've ever went through seven verses. 12 through 18, we just covered it. Picking up now in verse 19 of chapter 25. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac <clears throat> pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted him his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, for he was hairy, like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heels. So they named him, or called him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. We have Isaac here getting married at 40 years of age. And then we find there's no children that come right away. And so Isaac and Rebekah both begin to plead with God for children. It tells us that Rebekah is barren. Being barren in that day and in that age... Uh, was looked upon as a curse. If you didn't have children or descendants, you, you hadn't fulfilled your call in life. Uh, and the Lord, he hears Isaac, and he hears Rebecca, and she conceives. It's interesting to note that God has a special place in his heart when any husband and a wife will agree in prayer concerning any family issue. I would encourage any couple to be united in prayer concerning any of the issues that concern you. 
Every couple, I don't care who you are, you face difficulties, you face problems, things come into your life. Make those issues a matter of prayer. It pleases God when a couple will unite and pray concerning the issues that we face. Rebecca, she becomes pregnant, and she has questions about her pregnancy. So she inquires of God. She is told, you're going to have twins. Two nations are in your womb. And these twins, Jacob and Esau, are, are the only children that Isaac and Rebekah will have all of their life. And they come, Jacob and Esau, come 20 years after they get married. So for 20 years, they've been trying to have children with no success. But they have uh, issues. Rebecca wants to know what is going on. And she's told, you've got two nations in your womb. And that sort of explains the struggle to her. Uh, and then she's told, the younger brother will be the stronger one. And the older shall serve the younger. That's totally against the customs of that day. In that day, the oldest son would get a double portion of the inheritance versus any of the other children. And it was not common to have the younger child receive the greater portion. And it's critical to understand that God has spoken that the younger of the older will serve the younger. Uh, this is a word from the Lord, and this is a word to Isaac and Rebekah. And as we move through their lives and the lives of these twins, we see there's favoritism within this family. Isaac, it tells us he loves Esau, and Rebekah, she loves Jacob. And they favor each of the twins, the mother one and the father the other. And we look at the birth of these twin boys, and they're anything but identical. <laughs> Esau is, is described as red and hairy. Esau looks like a little red fur ball, okay? He looks like a hairy garment. Hi, this is my son, Furry. <laughs> Jacob, he is born, and he's grasping at the heel of Esau. And so Jacob is given the name, and it's not a good name. He's given the name, which means deceiver or con artist. But these twin boys, they look nothing alike, and they have personalities that are totally different. Esau, he's an outdoorsman. He's a hunter. Jacob is a mild-mannered guy dwelling, it says, in tents. Uh, and there's a lot of Jewish legend about this. Of course, uh, the Jews look upon Father Abraham and, and write many things about them. But the Jewish legend was, and I again or repeat its legend, tells how Jacob and Esau fought in the womb actually trying to kill one another. 
It's, it was said that Rebecca, she would be out walking and she would come near an, an idol altar and Esau would get all excited. And then she would walk somewhere else and come near an altar of God and Jacob would jump up for joy. So, and again, I, I say this as being Jewish legend, but we have in these boys, in these twin boys, a demonstration of the sovereignty of God. Paul, in Romans 9, he speaks of Jacob and Esau. Let me read you uh, three verses here. Romans 9, 11 through 13. For these children, not yet being born, not having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. That is strong. The brothers, these twin brothers, are a clear example of God's election. While still in the womb, God declares, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. And this is before these children are born or have done anything in life. Now, only God can say this, and it be a fair statement or a just statement. Understand, and we have to understand, that God knows the beginning from the end. The lives of these twins are already a spent tale before God. Your life and my life are already a spent tale before God, too. We're just in the process of living them out. In Scripture, we read things like this, that God's seeing us seated in the heavenlies. Yet we have not been to the heavenlies yet. But God sees us seated in the heavenlies. In our way of thinking, our rationale, our concept of time, and our way of thinking, we think perhaps God is being unfair to poor Esau. We can think that way. But look back in the Old Testament. Look at King Saul, the first king of Israel. King Saul is given a commandment by the prophet of God, and it's go into battle with the Amalekites, and King Saul, I want you to kill all of them. I want you to kill their men. I want you to kill their women. I want you to kill their children. And I want you to even kill their animals. God wants the Amalekites totally and completely wiped out. God is saying this. Because only God... Our creator can look at a group of people or look at a person and judge them whether or not they are fit to live. God can do that. God has seen the hearts. He's seen the future of the Amalekites and he has judged them totally captured by sin and they will never turn from their sin and he says they are not worthy to live. 
that is harsh. That is hard. And it is difficult for us to understand. But God has looked at Esau also. And he said, Esau, I have hated. Now, if that troubles you, and it troubles a lot of people, that God is able to see the sin of a person or a group of persons before they sin and judge them accordingly, then you will have difficulty realizing the attribute of God that he is a righteous God and that he must, he must judge sin. As Christians, we're not to fall into the world's concept or the world's thinking about God's character. What does the world say? Usually we hear things like, God is a God of love. Well, he is. That is his main attribute. But he is also a just God. And therefore, as a just God, he must judge sin. We can see this demonstrated in the cross that Christ went to. When Jesus, by the will of the Father, takes on all the sins of the world upon himself. God cannot ignore sin. And he must judge sin, and he judged Jesus with the sins of the world, his own son. And so here we are. We're on Mother's Day. 2013 Mother's Day, and we look back at Isaac and Rebecca, parents of these twins, and we see some things in them that is disturbing. They're biased. Isaac loves Esau. Rebecca loves Jacob. Isaac, he loves Esau, who is a skillful hunter, and it says, because he loved to eat of his game. So Isaac loves Esau for selfish reasons. Now, if Esau were with us today, we would see him running around in a, a lot of camo attire. He would, he would have the camo stuff on. He would probably set up a plastic deer in his yard to shoot, to take target practice at <coughs> He would put a browning, that little deer logo, decal in the back of his pickup. But Jacob, on the other hand, he's more of a gentle soul. He's more into domesticating animals and being a shepherd and that kind of thing. And he, Jacob, is pleasing to Rebecca, and she loves him and prefers him. And thus we have a dysfunctional family. Isaac loving Esau, Rebecca loving Jacob. And it would almost be comical if this wasn't so tragic. Isaac has come from a family where he saw his half-brother Ishmael being sent out into the wilderness by his own dad along with uh, 
his mother. Isaac has seen this. Isaac, he realizes that he is the son of promise. And yet, we read of Isaac being biased towards one of his sons against the other. He loves Esau, and it doesn't say he hates Jacob, but it says he loves Esau. So, you have to weigh that now against God's word to Isaac and Rebekah. And the word is, the older shall serve the younger, and that is God's word. That's not up for debate. That's what God declares. This is a clear message from God to Isaac and Rebekah as parents. And yet, as Isaac grows old, he will try to circumvent God's blessing, God's word of the older serving the younger. Isaac will attempt to bless Esau over Jacob. That is total disobedience to God's word. Rebekah and Jacob, they feel that they must resort to lying and deceiving to receive the birthright blessing for Isaac. It doesn't justify what they're doing, but we can understand it. But I'm way ahead of myself. We'll be looking at that in a couple of weeks. But here it is, Mother's Day. And we need to speak of parenting. It definitely appears that Rebecca favors Jacob because Isaac prefers Esau. It could be that Rebecca is responding. She she doesn't want her little boy being rejected uh, by their father. <clears throat> Children are not ignorant of whom they can maneuver and manipulate to get what they want out of mom and dad. Many years ago, back when I was a child, and that is many years ago, <laughs> I brought home a permission slip from school to play tackle football. My mom was against me playing football. I was a little guy at that time, not big and strong like I am now, and she was afraid I would get hurt. So I simply took the note to my dad and said, Dad, would you sign this? It's just where I can play football. He said, sure, son. He signs it. Didn't even take it to my mom. Children understand who they can get what they want from whom. And when my dad signed that permission slip, I began my long and glorious career of trying to be first string. Didn't make it. <laughs> but Rebecca, she finds herself loving Jacob, the mild-mannered son. And again, maybe she feels sorry for Jacob. Jacob, who is not his father's favorite. And normally speaking, this would sort of, you know, just carry on into adulthood and that'd be the end of it. But Isaac's disobedience to God's word 
I think it has forced his wife to defend and take up the cause of Jacob. Note Isaac's love of Esau, again, is for totally selfish reasons. It says, because he loved to eat of the wild game that Esau hunted. As a young man, my parents divorced, and uh, dad basically became non-existent in the lives of myself and my brothers. Yet, as the years went by and I grew and became a man, I found myself wanting to please my dad, make him proud of me, even though he was no longer part of our life. My poor mom, she was left with the responsibility of caring for and raising us boys. So mom had to step up. I think Rebecca steps up and takes Jacob, the mild-mannered son, in defense of Isaac's behavior towards Esau. That's my personal opinion. But the moral of the story here is, parents, you must be in communication, you must be in agreement with how you raise your children. We're to never let it be said that dad or mom preferred one child over the other. Isaac and Rebecca are a bad example. We're to learn from them. Only God can say, I prefer one over another because God sees the beginning from the end. And only God can look at a life and express a preference in a fair and just way. Our scripture reading this morning from the book of James spoke of being partial as being a sin. Being partial, being biased, being prejudiced is a sin. There's no two ways about it. God never allows us as mortals to judge the heart of another human being. We're told to judge their behavior. We're told to judge the fruit of their behavior. But we're never allowed to judge the heart of another person. And parents, that even includes your children. So we have this very negative example expressed by Isaac and Rebecca, parents that are unwilling to love both of their children. And it's out there for the whole world to read about. And anybody that reads the book of Genesis sees that Isaac loved Esau and Rebecca loves Jacob. And anyone can see that they're poor examples of parenting. And in the next couple of chapters, as we get into it here in Genesis chapter 26 and 7, we'll see this prejudice, this bias being played out. And it's there 
for the whole world to read about. So, here we are on Mother's Day, and we have an example of parents who love one child and really kind of reject the other, and it is wrong. Let us learn from the scriptures. Let us let the scriptures speak into our heart and lives. Sometimes we can casually say that uh, I'm the black sheep of the family. And sometimes we can feel like we were not the loved child or the preferred child. I don't want my children to ever be able to say that. I want my children to think I love them above anything else, and they are special to me. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for exposing Isaac and Rebecca in Scripture, exposing their sin of prejudice, exposing their bias, Lord. And let us learn from it. It's, it's never okay to be partial. It's never okay to be unloving. And let us take that to heart. Lord, I would desperately pray that my children would know that I love them. And I pray for every family here that, that ever has children or ever will have children or do have children, that those children would understand that they are loved by their Christian parents. Thank you, Lord, again for your word, for your truth of your word. May we take it, apply it to our lives, and we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.